Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. message series that is called This Is Us, which if you're familiar with uh, TV shows, this is a really uh, popular TV show that's on right now, but it's not about the show. This series is actually about us as a church family, all of us together, and what does that mean for us? Like we're asking questions of things like why are we here as a church and why does it matter and, and really trying to figure out this concept of if we could understand, each of us understands why our church exists, what its purpose is, we can find our role in it. And here's the thing is that when we understand the capabilities of what a church can do, Together, then we can start to see our part in it, and it energizes us and excites us, not just for what we can do as a church, but how God can transform our lives and the people that we care about in our lives around us. And so we began our series um, a couple weeks ago with this overarching thought that we talk about all the time at our church, and that is this phrase of encounter God in real life, right? This is who we are as a church, encounter God in real life. What that really means, right, we say it all the time, is we're normal people, living normal lives, just happen to believe that we can learn to know and experience God in everyday normal life. That's what it means to encounter God in real life. And so everything that we do is designed to teach us how to do that. The way that we worship, the way that we teach our sermons, the way that we serve in our communities, all of it is geared around this idea of that God is everywhere and we can know him and experience him everywhere. And so we're striving to encounter God in real life. And our church does this in three specific ways that we would call a mission statement, right? A formal word, uh, a formal term, which really just means everything, uh, the three things that we do to accomplish our mission, and that is to love people, to know God, and serve the world, right? Everything that we do as a church flows out of these three things. If, if we're, you know, worshiping or if we're serving or we're in relationships, whatever it is, comes out of this idea of love people, know God, and serve the world. And so last week, um, Pastor Heather talked about love people, and we explored this idea of that love is contagious when we become carriers of it. So, so the, the way that people experience love is that they see it from us, is that we carry it to them, whether it's in our church or in the world around us. When we become carriers, love is contagious and people want to experience it, but then they want to give it to other people. And so we talked about two of our five core values and how we as a church live that out. And one of those was relationships first and the other was everyone is welcome. So as a church, we focus on relationships with people and putting everything into the context of relationships and then making sure that no matter who walks through the door, that every single person is welcome. And time and time again, we have this little survey that we send out when guests come to church and we send them an email saying, thank you so much for coming. And at the bottom, it's got a little survey, monkey survey, and people uh, occasionally will fill it out. And one of the things that the questions is, what is the first thing you noticed or what stuck out, stood out to you? And over the last five years of our church's existence, the answer almost always is, this is the most welcoming and friendly church that I've ever been to in my life. And that is an example of our core values of relationships first and everyone is welcome being like lived out. So kudos to you guys for doing that. And that's how we love people. Well, today we're going to go to the next step of loving people, know God and serve the world. We're going to talk about know God. What does it mean to know God? So we encounter God in real life by loving people. 
We also encounter God in real life by knowing the God that we serve. And so what does it mean to know God? And how do we know God? Well, I believe that first we have to start with a foundation, right? First thing is that we have to believe that God can and wants to be known. We have to believe that. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. It's on the screen here. We have to, we can, that God can be and wants to be known. If we, if we want to encounter God, we have to have this idea in our mind, like resolve the, to the fact that God can be and does want to be known. There are a lot of religions out there that worship a God, but most of them don't have the concept that God is knowable, that you could interact with him. Most of it is far off. It's a statue. It's something that, that it deserves uh, like a, a certain reverence that, that keeps you away, but that's not the God of the Bible. And I would say this before we get into this today is that there is a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. For example, in America uh, or in Western civilization, we live in a highly celebrity-oriented culture, right? Um, Where we tend to think that we know celebrities. We have faces on the screen here of people, probably most of us in the room could name almost everyone on here. I'm going to try. I think that's Zac, Zac Efron, and uh, Kim Kardashian, uh, Justin Bieber, I don't know who that is. Uh, who? Kendall. Kendall Jenner? Kendall Jenner, okay. And then Selena Gomez, Ariana Grande, some other person. Who's this guy? Is that Nick Cannon? I don't know. And then, <laughs> I don't know. And then uh, other people, and then Taylor Swift. But here's the point, right? We live in a social media, in, like, in, like, drenched world. We, 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 we look on the internet. We watch TV shows and movies where there's BuzzFeed. It's really popular. And we have a, a tendency to think that we know these people and what they like. We know who they're married to. We know when they're on vacation. We know all of these things, right? But we actually don't know them. We know about them, but we don't know them right? And I think that in Christianity around the world that many of us suffer from the same dilemma, that we go to church, maybe we were raised in church, and we know a lot about God. We know what his word says. We memorize Bible verses. In, in, in like movies, people actually quote. Sometimes there are phrases, like we said a few weeks ago, with no rest for the weary or no rest for the wicked. That's a phrase that's just used in modern conversation. It comes out of the Bible, and people don't even know it, right? This concept of knowing about God, but we don't know God. And yet, God wants to be known. God can be and wants to be known. In fact, that's our big idea of the message today. If you're taking notes, write this down. The foundation of knowing God is believing that God can be and wants to be known. It's the beginning of all of it. And here's some examples in Scripture. If you guys open your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 9. This is in the Old Testament. Jeremiah was a prophet of God who, um, prophets were ones who were like messengers uh, to the people, whether they be kings or the leadership or just the nation as a whole. And Jeremiah was a prophet of God while the people of Israel were actually in captivity and exile in another country. It was a bad time for the Jewish people. Jeremiah chapter 9 Verses 23 and 24, God is talking through Jeremiah about what it means to know God. And it says this, verse 23, this is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one 
who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord showing faithful love and justice and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, oftentimes in a prophetic message or in a a scriptural passage that was in a prophet saying this, oftentimes it ends with, this is the Lord's declaration. What is the purpose of that? It is to declare, it is to stamp and say, I don't care about your opinion. This is what God says, and this is it. Right? So when you see God saying through his prophet Jeremiah to the people that all I want is for you to understand and know me, this is my declaration, whatever anybody else tells you, don't listen to it, this is what I'm saying. Okay, So the idea here is that we are to know, it says to boast, to understand who God is. That's the about part, right? Understand who God is about him. What does it say about him? It says that you are faithful in love, that you show justice, that you have righteousness on earth. And he delights in those things. Like that's knowing about God. But to know him means to interact with him, to experience it for yourself. That's what Jeremiah is saying. That's what God is saying through Jeremiah is to understand and know God. And now we see, actually, lots of examples of stories of individuals who have uh, know God personally. We see it in Abraham. In Genesis, Abraham was a man who, who uh, had a relationship with God, who heard from God in his life. He was just living his life, raising sheep and goats and kind of hanging out with his family. And God told him to go to another place and birth dreams in his life, in his heart. And they moved. And, 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 and because of it, the Jewish people were born. We see the same thing in Moses. Moses had a very real encounter with God when God appeared to him in a physical form in a bush, like it was on fire. Can you imagine that? Like walking on the street and seeing a tree on fire? and God speaking out of it, you'd probably think that you're on drugs or something. But Moses had this encounter with God and would speak to him and had conversations with him and then was used powerfully in his, um, with, his, with, with his words and, and in his actions. And God did miracles and, in fact, used Moses to set the Jewish people free from their slavery in Egypt, right? So we see Moses having a relationship with God. And then in David, the Psalms are probably the most personal aspect of the Bible as a whole. If you read the Psalms, it's full of weeping and sadness and bearing your soul to God, right? David was essentially writing journal entries. Anybody in the room like to journal or like to write things? Nobody in the room likes to write. Okay. That's fine. Um, but David did, and so he wrote a lot of them, right? And so, so you could see it that David, was in, when, he, when he screwed up and, and was living his life in sin, he was writing about it. He was raw. Like, he didn't hide it. He, he would say, God, I'm the worst, and I'm terrible, and I need you, right? And then you would see in that same passage, you would see him pray to God and then hear God speak to him, and then he was encouraging himself. Right? You see over and over again in the Psalms that David had a personal personal knowledge and relationship with God. The same thing with Elijah. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the prophet Elijah, where he would go, um, where the message of, of God would come to him, and he would go and he would speak out. But oftentimes, Elijah was involved with normal people. Like a couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the widow, the woman, right, and her son. God got involved in a very minute, uh, mundane aspect of life. And Elijah was involved. In it. He saw that God cared about the one person, not just the entire nation. And then in the New Testament, we see Paul 
Paul, right? There were so many stories in the New Testament. The, the Apostle Paul was a man who used to kill Christians. He hunted them down. And then he had an experience with God on the way to Damascus with Jesus. It changed his life. And he became so passionate and understanding. He was a stubborn, angry man who then became a man who, at the end of his life, was sitting in prison and said, I have learned the secret to contentment. It's to be content in all things. I've had much and I've had little, and yet I know Jesus so personally, and I want to experience the suffering. This man got to such a point where he said, I want to experience the suffering because I, when I do that, I'm with Jesus more than most. Like he had this, this, this incredible closeness of knowledge and relationship with God, right? And then, of course, our own Savior, Jesus, who embodied this example of, of a relationship of knowing God, and he emphasized it. In John chapter 17, we see it. He's having a prayer. John 17, verse 3. We see Jesus praying to the Father and talking about what it means to know God. Look at this. John 17, verse 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you. He's talking about us. He's praying for his, for his followers, for his disciples. He says, This is eternal life. Like eternal life is, is knowing God the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So what is he saying here? He's emphasizing a personal relationship with God, one that is lived out daily, not just knowing about God, but actually knowing him and integrating God into our daily lives. So the question really becomes, what does that look like? What does it look like to know God? When we say one of the things that our church does is we know God, well, we get an excellent example of this in the Old Testament outlined for us in a prayer that the Jewish people had been praying for thousands of years called the Shema. Shema. Can you guys say that? Say Shema. Shema. Look at that. You speak Hebrew now. And it gives us an expectation of what it might mean to know God and how do we live that out. So we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. You've probably heard this before. It says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And what would happen is that the Jewish people every day, to this day, Orthodox Jews particularly do this. They get up and they actually pray this prayer. It's an instruction for them. It's repeated also by Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 37, you want to write that down and look it up later because I know what I'm talking about? It is true. Jesus knew, first of all, he would have been taught it because he was raised Jewish. Secondly, he's emphasizing it when someone said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? In other words, how do I, how do I please God? How do I do this thing called faith? And Jesus answers him and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength, right? That's what he says. He repeats it. So essentially he's saying, so someone says, Jesus, how do I know God? And how do I live my life? How do I discover this faith? And Jesus says, know God, know God. It's not just about knowing about him, but knowing him. So let's unpack this prayer a little bit, this Shema a little bit. We're going to take a little bit of lesson in Hebrew today. Don't worry, it'll be exciting. Four key words about knowing God in the Shema. Remember, they would pray this every day, right? So the first part says to love the Lord your God, right? Love. Now, the Hebrew word for love is ahava. Everybody say that. Ahava. ahava. It sounds like you're laughing, but ahava. Now, any of you ever heard the song by Boston, More Than a Feeling? More than a feeling, right? 
That's what ahava means, more than a feeling. It's love that is fueled, an action that is fueled by emotion, okay? So because, because God ahava us, he sent Jesus. He was moved to do something because of his great love, okay? And then, like last week, Pastor Heather said to us, that passage of Scripture that says that because we love, because Christ first loved us, the idea is here is we ahava because Jesus first ahavad us. He showed us. He actually gave action and, and, and like, intentionality to it, and because it was fueled by that emotion, his actions came forth, right? So we ahava because of it. What it really means to love God is because we recognize who he is, what he has done, we're filled with a certain sense of admiration and emotion, and it is lived outwardly. That's the idea of Ahava, to respond to God's own love with our own love fueled by love and emotion. It's an interactive relationship. So that's the centerpiece, right? So love with our action, let it be shown outwardly that we do love our God, and how do we do it? With all our heart, right? Heart. The Hebrew word for heart is lava, or sometimes it is shortened to lev, like in this case. And the heart is important to understand. We know this, right? I love you with all my heart. And what does that mean? It generally means, you know, emotionally. It means that I'm in love, right? But here's the cool thing, is that the Hebrews had no concept for the brain. There is literally no word in Hebrew for brain, it didn't exist to them as far as they thought. Everything, all thought and all emotion was in the heart. So for them, when they would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, what they were saying is, is they understood that the heart was a beating item in your chest. But what they really meant was that the heart is the place where you know things. The heart is the place where you understand things. The heart is a place where you can find wisdom or not use it. It's the same thing. It's a place of emotion. It's a place of discernment. It's a place where we experience fear. It's a place where we experience joy. The heart was the center of not just emotion, but also your thought life. So what it's saying here is, is to love outwardly, allow your life to reflect, right, ahava, to love the Lord your God with all your lev. Your heart means with my thoughts, with my emotions, with my choices, right? That's what it truly means to love the Lord your God, was to devote it all, the fullness of your thoughts and your emotion. To know God means that we invite him in to interact with our heart and with our mind right? That space of the thing that causes our, the center of our thought and emotional life, to love God from that space. But then it continues, and it says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Now, this one is confusing because it's actually translated in a way that doesn't really help us because we think of a soul as like a spirit that's trapped inside of our body that once we die, it gets released, right? That's the concept of a Western idea, the Greek concept. But the Hebrew people didn't think of a soul that way. And the word here is nephesh. Nephesh actually implies a physical being. So what we're seeing here, right, is this idea of love the Lord your God with all your soul is actually everything that you were capable of doing, the output of your life, your physical existence and being, not flesh, right? We're not talking about like the skin on your bones. What we're actually talking about is more like the, like when I go to work or when I'm paying my bills, right? When I'm hugging someone, like it's talking about the capabilities and our limitations. 
inviting God into those spaces, knowing him from a space of, I love you, God, when I'm at work working on a spreadsheet. I love you when I'm in traffic. I love you when I'm, when I'm watching a movie. I love you when I'm at a concert. I love you when I'm at church. I love you when I'm, like, all of these spaces. I love you when I can't pay my bills. I love you, like, I'm, I'm giving you all of those places. You see what I'm saying? The word nephesh is my physical being, my existence, not simply a spirit that's trapped inside of us. Okay? And I understand, like it's, it's translated that way because oftentimes it's pulled out of the Greek and Latin translations, which takes a little bit of a different location. But that's why it's important to dig in here. So the word nephesh is not simply just this spirit that connects to God in some weird, vague way. It's actually the way that we live our lives, all of our capabilities and our limitations given to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your thought life, your choices, the center of your decision-making with your soul with our capabilities and with our limitations and with our strength. And this one is also really interesting. The word for strength is ma'od. You guys say that, ma'od. Sounds really cool, right? I love you with my ma'od. Ma'od is an adverb, actually. We think of strength like muscles, right? So it's like, so it's like this idea of, um, I love you, Lord, while I'm working out and lifting up things like I love you. Like that's the idea of strength, right? But that's actually not what it means. The word ma'od means very or much. It's an adverb, like I very much like ice cream or I would very much like to go to there, right? These are the, these, this is what it means, very. It's an, it's an adverb. It adds to a capacity. It means to increase its value or its, its capability, if you will, okay? So when it says for us to love the Lord your God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with my very, with all my muchness, what it's saying is, is not just my heart, not just the, the emotions, not just my thoughts or my decisions or my my discernment, not just with the things that I do, but in everything I do, I do it with such a capacity, an attitude, a muchness, meaning like I just fuel everything I have. I pour it all into my relationship with God. And everything I do, I, I amp it up, right? It's like amped up for God. That's the idea. Do you, do you see a trend here or a pattern here? Like the concept of knowing God from the Jewish perspective is not one of memorizing a bunch of scriptures. It's one of where every single area of our life is integrated in an, in an intimate relationship and knowledge of the one who created us and hearing from him and allowing him to transform us. It's so different than just going to church on a Sunday, you know, and like hearing a worship song and then going home about our lives. Like the concept of knowing God means every bit of me is designed to know, experience, and to honor God. Nothing is off limits, and God wants to be intimately involved in everyday life. And so it sounds like an awful lot, for sure, right? And that's why um, it's crazy. You know, we see Orthodox Jews who are still living, you know, in Squirrel Hill, and they dress the same way that they do, and I, I admire them. And theologically, I don't think that we're called to have to be to that space, but I admire their attention to detail to allow God to be at the center of their lives, but we can do that without having to follow all of the regulations instead of, because that's what Jesus did, was to come to set us free from regulations and instead to allow it to be a holistic approach of where we can know God in every space at all times. And that's what this means to know God. And so in our church, we boil this down into really two 
core values. Like last week we talked about love people was boiled down into relationships first and everyone welcome. For us, how does our church, how do we as a church know God? Well, the first value is we dig deeper. Dig deeper. What does this mean for us to dig deeper? Well, simply put, it's a question. What is your next step? What is your next step? Here's the reason. is because we, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what stage of faith you're in, where you are in your journey of faith, some of us have been Christians for a long time and have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of us are like, I haven't talked to God in five years, or I don't know how to hear from him, or some of us are just wondering if God is real, and there's all sorts of steps to this, right? But what is the next thing that you can do? Digging deeper means what's the next thing that you can do to know God more? And we recognize that there's different journeys. Every one of us are, have different starting points. We all might be on a similar journey, but every one of us starts in a different place. But we all have the same goal at this church is to know God, to know him. And we start it by knowing that God can be and wants to be known. What's the next step for you? And so at our church, we have an expectation around that. We have an expectation that you will dig deeper. When I preach my sermons, it's not just for your own edification. It's with the expectation that you and I will take what is being told and will say, what is my next step to apply this to my life? And every one of us, it'll be a different answer, right? It's an expectation of it. It's, a, it's a, of spiritual growth. If you're sitting here today and you're like, I haven't grown in my faith in a long time, chances are you're not digging deeper. Chances are you're not taking steps in your life to grow in relationships with other people or in spiritual growth or becoming more mature. There is an expectation here as we dig deeper that every one of us are growing. And I'm not saying you have to look like someone else. What we are saying is that if you're just not taking steps of any kind, then you're not. You're just being stagnant. You're not digging deeper. And with that comes a little bit of personal responsibility. Because I like to think of our church as like a laboratory. Think of our church like a lab, okay? Everything that we do is a place for us to experiment in our faith, trying things out, trying to figure it out, working it all out, right? But the personal responsibility is is that, yeah, I get up and I come to church on a Sunday morning or I go to my life group, but there's five other days a week where it's a responsibility for you to take the steps yourself, right? And then you come here and like maybe you come here, you go to a life group and you're asking questions. I'm not sure what I think about that or I'm really struggling with applying this particular principle to my life. I don't know how to do it or I keep messing up and somebody tells you, you know, I tried this and it really helped. And, you know, or, or you're like, you know, hey, as a life group, we're all going to try to read these passages of scripture this week, whatever it might be, right? And then you leave that place. You have a responsibility now to try some things on your own or try to apply those things on your own. And that's one of the things that we do here as a church is to, is to assist you but to kind of like a parent, like kind of bump you out the door a little bit and be like, okay, you try now, right? That's the idea here. It's to dig deeper. We encounter God in real life by knowing God, and we know God by digging deeper. But the second area is a little bit maybe unexpected, but it's super emphasized in Scripture, and that is this. It's unity through Christ. Unity through Christ. And you say, how do I know God by unity? Well, listen to what it says in John 17. This is the second half of the prayer that we read earlier from Jesus. John 17, verses 20 to 23 says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, us, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you've given me so that they may be one, right? As we are one, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. Why? That the world may know you and that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Here's what I'm saying. There is an aspect of getting to know God through the interactions with other people. Part of our knowing God comes from direct source, reading his word, hearing the Holy Spirit, inviting him into our life, integrating him into our life, and then applying those things, right? But God created us as human beings to be in relationships with other people, which is why he created the body of Christ. The church is is the physical manifestation of God on earth. And so we are called as Christians to engage with each other and we learn about God and learn from each other in that laboratory, as I was kind of telling you about, as we are in relationships with other people. But historically, we've actually seen a lot of division in the church, anger, frustration, fighting, lack of unity, right? And so what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying it is virtually impossible for people to know and experience God when all they see is his representatives arguing and fighting amongst themselves. Think about that. Think about people that you know who want nothing to do with Christianity or faith in God because they see Christians who are angry, who are mean, who are divisive, who can't even love each other, right? And so what we see all throughout Scripture is its unity is emphasized over and over and over again in the New Testament. And here's what I want to say to you. When we push past our preferences and our ancillary, secondary beliefs, what I mean by that is things that are outside of the centrality of the gospel. Every one of us have various ways that we interpret various passages of Scripture. But if they're not a central concept of the gospel, if it is not how I know and experience my Savior and find salvation, everything else is up for conversation, right? So here's what I'm saying. is When we push past our preferences and our ancillary beliefs for the sake of unity through our Savior, Jesus Christ, we create a space for people to truly know God in a way that transcends the differences that we may have with each other. I want to read that again. When we push past our preferences and our ancillary beliefs for the sake of unity through our Savior, Jesus, we create a space for people to truly know God in a way that transcends any differences that we have with each other. And what happens is is we become one body made up of many parts. That's the way it was designed. That's the illustration. Every one of us are different, different ideas and different thoughts and different preferences and different backgrounds and traditions and, and all of those kinds of things, right? But we're made to be one body. And so at Encounter, we strive to create an atmosphere where the one thing that we have in common is the most important thing. And that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then everything else flows out of that. We're not a church that has a certain kind of worship or a certain belief about a thing. We are a church that says, you are all welcome here. And every one of us are unified by the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. And we're brothers and sisters because of it. And so everything else is secondary to that. Right? So unity through Christ means that. And that's why so much of what we do isn't really like you're going to find anywhere else. Right? At our church, our worship is not quite like any other church. The way I preach is not quite like any other church. The way we serve in our community is not like any other church. There are similarities, right? The way that we do our life groups, the way we do everything is not quite like 
any other place. Why is that important? Because we're a church family made up of individuals who come from a variety of church traditions. We did it that way by design. We want this to be a place where people who come from a Presbyterian background or a Catholic background or a Pentecostal background or an atheist background come here and can all be together. And it's beautiful. And what it does is it proves that the gospel works. And this is what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I want them to be one so that the world may see me. But they can't see me because my own people are fighting amongst themselves, right? So instead... What it does is when we, people come to our church or when they see us living life out at restaurants or we go to serve and the people know us and they see that we're the same people here as we are at home as the baseball game or when we're playing together, whatever it is that we're doing and we genuinely love each other. I'm like, wow, you grew up in that background and this person grew up in that background and you can actually be together and, and, and you're growing in faith in that space. People see that and now they can actually see the real God. And because of it, People can see past all the junk in our world and see God for who he really is. Why? Because they catch a glimpse of it in the way that we treat each other. And that's why we have unity through Christ. We know God through each other. And other people can know God because they see God through us. So we encounter God in real life by knowing God. We know God by digging deeper. We know God by having unity through Christ. And the bonus to that is that others can encounter God when they see us knowing God and being unified together. Would you stand with me? I'm going to close with a couple thoughts. What does this mean for us, like individually? I think we tackled what it means for us as a church. We are a church that takes our faith seriously. We're going to dig into it, every one of us, every week. What's next? What's the next step for you? What's the next step? How can I take a step to know God more? But what does it mean for us as individuals? First is this concept of digging deeper. It's on the screen here. Personal time with God, right? It's like studying at school. It's like making a time with a relationship with a friend. You know, like in order to know someone, you have to spend time with them. And there's lots of ways that you can do that. You can watch a, 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 a TV show that has like Christian themes to it. You could study the Bible. You could listen to worship music. You can go on a walk, you know, and, and just reflect on God's beauty and nature. You can go to a conference. You can go to life groups. There's all sorts of ways to take personal responsibility and personal time with God. Your primary way that you grow in your relationship with God and by knowing him is by spending time with him. We talk about life groups all the time. It's an emphasis for us. We talk about serving, joining the dream team, not just serving a church, but also serving in our city and serving in, in, in community groups and places that you can go. Because Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and that my people will be known as servants. So as we give of ourselves, both of our actions, but also our finances, when we contribute to this house, to this church, or to other places, what it's doing is, is you are saying, God, you're first in my life. And as we do, we begin to experience him more. When I give him my time, right, I begin to see that God is the giver of all the time. When I give of my finances, I see that I rely on him, not on my paycheck. When I trust him in all of these spaces, when I spend time with him, he begins to talk to me in ways. He begins to say things like, Jared, you're really taking this issue at work too seriously. You need to have a better perspective. When you do that, when you integrate him in your life in personal time, you can dig deeper and we can know him more. And as far as unity through Christ, I would say this to you and hear my heart. Check your preferences at the door. 
check your preferences at the door. When you come to this church, it's not about a style of worship. It's not about a way that somebody preaches. It's not about people looking like you or me. It's not about the side of the neighborhood that they live on or come from, right? It's not about the size of a building, how many people are here. It's not about any of those things. It's about what is God doing in my life? What is God doing in this family? And when we do that, every one of us now are focused on knowing Jesus more and it becomes attractive to people and more people want that. Check your preferences at the door. I would encourage you to dive in with both hands and heart. Come to service. Come to life groups with an expectancy, right? Come here with a heart of, I want to meet God. I want him to speak to me. I want a friend. I'm expecting that a friend is going to give me a word from God today. And it could be an encouragement. It could be a challenge. I don't know what it is. And it's jump in. Be with each other. Go meet somebody new. Do something different. Don't create natural dividing lines. Let's have lines instead of circles, right? Let's create outward looks for people. And let's listen and learn from each other. And you can only do that in conversations and in relationships. So again, close with this. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What I'd like to do is I'd like for us to model like the Jewish people do. And let's pray this together. Let's just out loud right now. So what happens is in the beginning, they say, listen. The word Shema means listen, right? It's like calling to attention. It's calling to attention their heart, their soul, their mind, their body, all of it. And then they're commanding themselves. First, they acknowledge who God is. And then they say, this is what my life standard is will be. Let's all pray this together right now together. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that we can know you. I thank you that you want to know us and we can integrate our lives, every aspect of us. God, this is a challenge for sure. This is a big process. But God, all you ask of us is the next step. Just take a step, the next step. And so for each of us in the room today, each one of us, there is a step available. I pray that you would right now, Holy Spirit, make it clear to us, that you would prod our hearts with how we can know you more. Challenge us, encourage us to take different steps to know you more intimately, more deeply, more personally. And God, in the room as well, that you would unify us. I echo the prayer that Jesus did. God, may you make us one. Maybe we, may we be one family, one body made up of so many unique and different parts, but we are unified through the, through the salvation of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that in our relationships, that we would be so fueled as we walk out of this church, that as we meet people in the city, in our, you know, whoever we hang out with in the evenings or we go to work, that we would be, we would just be bubbling with the joy of meeting with our brothers and sisters, that people would see you through it, that there would be such a stark contrast from churches around the world that are, that are disunified, that are divided, and instead they would see that you are having a tangible effect on our lives, and it's because we're unified with you and with each other. God, I pray that people would see, that the world would see who you truly are, that you love, and that you're inviting them in and that may be done through us. I thank you, Lord, for it. I pray that this week, as we leave here and we go about our lives, this week through life groups, that our discussions would be 
deep, they would be meaningful, they'd be rich. God, I pray for the disconnected, that they would be drawn to relationships. I thank you, Lord. And I pray that in a time of division in our nation that is so heavy, is so heavy, God, I pray that we would love each other despite our differences, that we would find common ground in you, and that we would call each other into relationship, into conversation, over the dinner table, God. That we, would, that we would be against what the world is doing and instead we would set a high example of unity. I love you and I thank you for what you're doing in this church. Let us know you deeper this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to encountergiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.